Um, so this morning, so if you have your Bible or you have your device, you're, you're going to want to turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 12. I, I know that uh, I found it there. Uh, so it's, it's 12 through 26 is where we're going to be all through there. So uh, um, we're going to, but before we get there, though, I just want to mention that there's these two healings that we're going to read about today, um, they show that the, the Messianic times have come. They were inaugurated, the Messianic times were inaugurated when Jesus first came to the earth. And they show us uh, uh, that Jesus came not only to deal with our sin problem, but they also uh, point us to what's to come in the age to come. And that is uh, complete whole bodies um, without ailment, without sickness, no death. And so we get glimpses of that in these healings. We see what happens when the fullness of God's kingdom is experienced. Um, and, and so we're, we're seeing these, and Luke is giving us even a more full picture of Jesus' ministry here today. Now, it, it is interesting that um, in Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist, you know, he's in prison, and he's, he sends word through his uh, followers, too, that he says, um, they're come to ask him, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? And here's Jesus' response in Luke chapter 7, verse 22. It says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And so he was telling uh, these guys that came with this message from John the Baptist what John the Baptist would recognize as signs of the Messiah. And so, um, again, what we're going to see here today, uh, and we read in the passage, we're going to see the paralytic healed, we're going to see the leprous man healed, uh, and so we're just going to see evidence of the Messianic age breaking in with Jesus there. Um, now, uh, in this passage, too, we're going to see that, uh, that we need to see that Jesus came to cleanse and forgive anyone, anyone who sees their need for it. That's important. So we're going to see the cleansing power and the forgiving power of Jesus. And uh, no one who humbly acknowledges their need for forgiveness and reaches out to Jesus for it will be turned away. And to me, that's, that's good news. That's, that's wonderful, hope-filled news. And so let's look at the first uh, healing here, starting in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. So verses 12 to 16 will be this first healing here, and I'll just read it. So this is where Jesus heals a man with leprosy. And so the passage says, while he was uh, in one of the cities, there was a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Uh, excuse me, he says, I will. And then he says, be clean. Uh, and immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one. But go, he says, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him 
and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, I don't know how much you know about leprosy, uh, but really this word that's used here could be any number of categories of skin diseases. Um, I think Hansen's disease would be one of those potentially, but it doesn't have to be limited to that. And uh, it says this man here was full of leprosy. So, you know, his case was extremely severe. And um, if you're doing your uh, Bible study, what you would do, there's probably going to be some sort of a, if you have a study Bible, some sort of a reference back to Leviticus in chapters 13 and 14, where they're going to point you to certain um, laws and rules to live by that they had uh, to, to protect the community uh, from spreading this leprosy. Uh, but it was rough if you had leprosy. Uh, let me just read some things about it here. Uh, leprosy was seen in the Jewish law as defiling the person and everyone they touched also became unclean. So when the individual went anywhere, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine that? Uh, if you're not just in your kind of leper community where you would have to stay, when you went out of that community and if you came near anybody, close within vocal range, you're going to have to say, unclean, unclean. And people would stay away from you um, because of, uh, you know, no, they, don't, they know what it means to get leprosy, and they don't want to get it, right? Um, and so uh, people could uh, make sure that they didn't inadvertently make contact uh, and themselves be defiled. It was a debilitating disease physically and socially, for the person was often ostracized, right? And certainly they were isolated. They were put in quarantine. Right, um, I mean, COVID quarantine was nothing compared to having leprosy and having to stay apart, uh, where there was no, you know, known cure. If you were going to get uh, healed of leprosy, it was going to be the Lord. It was going to be the Lord to heal you. And um, and so it was. Many considered leprosy to be an extreme punishment from God. I'm not saying that that's the right way to see it, but many at that time, uh, as, as oftentimes a lot of um, physical ailments and, um, you know, people born with deformities or issues, people, a lot of people thought, well, um, their parents sinned and that's why that happened to them. And uh, certainly not all uh, illnesses are due to sin for sure. And so... Uh, leprosy was often associated with sin and shame, and as I mentioned earlier, only God could heal the lepers, uh, but these people were seen as untouchables, uh, exclude, people excluded from God. Um, and, and as I think about that, I, I think about um, how sometimes we think that maybe there's something that we've done that God cannot forgive us that we are, in a sense, uh, untouchable, uh, that, that God won't come near us because of something we've done in our past. And I um, just want to 
read to you something that Erwin Lutzer uh, um, shared a story about, and I'm just going to relay it, but, but it really has to do with this idea that some people have, and a false idea that, that we could get so far from God that we could never be forgiven. Okay? So he says, uh, shares this story. In, in the 14th century, Robert Bruce of Scotland was leading his men in a battle to gain independence from England. Near the end of the conflict, the English wanted to capture Bruce to keep him from the Scottish crown. So they put his own bloodhounds on his trail. And when the bloodhounds got close, Bruce could hear them baying. His attendant said, we are done for. They're on your trail and they will, they will reveal your hiding place. Bruce replied, it's all right. Then he headed for a stream that flowed through the forest. And he plunged in and he waded upstream a short distance. When he came out on the other bank, he was in the depths of the forest. Within minutes, the hounds tracing their master's steps came to the bank, and they went no further. The English soldiers urged them on, but the trail was broken. The stream had carried away the scent. A short time later, the crown of Scotland rested on the head of Robert Bruce. And Erwin Lutzer then relates this to forgiveness. He says, the memory of our sins prodded on by Satan can be like those baying dogs. But a stream flows red with blood of God's own son. By grace through faith, we are safe. No sin hound can touch us. The trail is broken by the precious blood of Jesus. So, so we, we we think about these lepers and how you know people would see them as as uh, not just social outcasts but uh, cast out by God. And we can sometimes have these false ideas that there's there's something that we've done in our past. There's something that we've done that God cannot forgive, and He won't come near to us. And so, when you know Jesus. Um, all your sin is forgiven, right? When you put your faith in him, past, present, and future, and uh, your sin was laid upon Jesus on the cross. And, and just like Jesus, as he approaches, um, well, not just approaches, he touches. Jesus touches this man, okay? And, and think about that. Why did Jesus touch the man? Um, because... He could have healed him with his word, right? He, I mean, he, Jesus could just say things and things happen, right? But, but in his situation, my take on this is just my take, but it's just that he wanted to show this man, I'm, I have no trouble coming to you. I have no trouble loving you, uh, and I, you know, so I, have, so I just want to show you by my touch that I love you and I'm healing you, and, and so Jesus presses in right there with him. And so I just think we have a picture here, um, not only of the healing power of Jesus, but for sure we see this, right? Um, healed us of this deep disease that was really considered incurable. And, um, but we see um, the, the, the love of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus that he has um, on all sinners, Right? 
you think of what this, this man needed. He needed the cleansing. He needed the healing and cleansing, right? And we all need healing from sin's effects, right? We, we need to be healed from our sin problem that separates us from God, and that's why Christ came. So this leper, I think, really exemplifies one who humbly approaches Jesus. He knew all the rules. He knew he wasn't supposed to be approaching anyone that themselves were not a leper. But he took a risk, and he pressed in there, and the Lord just welcomed him. I think it's important for us to see this. Um, Now, the one thing that's interesting is it says here at the end of that passage, um, that first healing, that it says Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, this was his habit often, right? Jesus would do ministry, and then he would often um, slip away and be with God the Father, and he would spend time in prayer. And I think it's important that um, any of us who are believers, right, as God calls us to engage uh, in ministry and serving others and in, 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 in communicating the gospel, loving others and um, in word and deed, that we realize that we need God for there any for anything spiritual to really happen. In other words, yes, we need to do the work of ministry. We need to do what God calls us to do. But nothing significant is really going to happen unless God himself is working in that instance. Right? And uh, I wanted to read a quote. I want to read a quote uh, to you from J.C. Ryle on his commentary on Luke. And um, he talks about this, this importance of prayer in ministry. He starts with a question. He says, why is it that there is so much apparent religious working and yet so little result in positive conversions to God? So many sermons and so few souls saved. So much machinery, I think he means like working, right? So much a lot working. So much machinery and so little effect produced. So much running hither and thither, Um, and yet so few brought to Christ. Do you hear what he's saying? There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of preaching. There's a lot of works being done, but not a lot of spiritual results. He says, why is all this? And here's his take on it. He says, the reply is short and simple. There's not enough private prayer. The cause of Christ does not need less working, but it does need more workers, more the, the he does need among the workers more praying. Let us each examine ourselves and amend our ways. The most successful workmen in the Lord's vineyard are those who are like the master, often and much upon their knees. I think that's a good word for us to realize that. God takes, uh, needs, he needs us to be involved in the work, for sure. He's ordained that we be involved in the work. But he's also uh, commanded us to seek him in prayer and that we need to make sure 
that in our prayer lives, we are committing to God the works we're going to be engaged in. And that we ask God to use the things that we believe He's leading us to do, the conversations we have, the, the gospel sharing that we do, the serving in the name of Jesus that we might do, that they would have an effect because it's going to take a work of God to do that. And how do we know we're relying on God? Prayer. That's how we know. Right? If, we did, if we engage in ministry for the Lord individually or corporately as a church and we've not, we're not praying for the works that we're doing, then we're only doing what we can do. We're not seeing what God can do. And so Jesus, um, you know, we, yes, he is, the, he is uh, the Son of God. He is God come in the flesh, but he's also, we've seen, you know, he is, he ha- he is fully human as well as fully God. And so he meets with God the Father in prayer. In his physical body, he needs that rest and he needs that communion with the Father. So Jesus can heal physically. We, we've seen this here, but it, it, certainly he does that. If it's God's will, uh, he heals people even today. But more importantly, he's willing and ready to cleanse us from our sin as we humbly come to him. And that's really, in the next story, we're going to see uh, more of that. And so let's hit, uh, let's go on to um, healing of the paralytic in um, verse 17. So in verse 17, it says, on one of those days, uh, he, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord with, was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So you get this, you start getting this mental picture. There's a large crowd at this house, presumably, and uh, these individuals are bringing their friend who's paralyzed, he's a paralytic, he's bringing him on his mat or his bed, so to speak, and there's no way to get in. They made a way. And in the construction of this home, they could pull away some of the roof and lower this man down in to Jesus. And so it says... um, There in verse 20, and when he, meaning Jesus, and when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Okay, now that should cause you to say, it's meant to do that. Jesus meant for that to happen. He's like, because you're thinking, "Well, well, that's great, but that's not why we're here, right? Um, And so in verse 21, it says, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, 
your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Verse 25, and immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. No kidding. Uh, no kidding. It's just, just an amazing scene. And, of course, you know, anytime you get people together to hear God's word, you're going to have some doubters. Um, the Pharisees, the scribes were there, and you're going to have some people that who are starting to dial into who Jesus really is. And they're like, you know, he, he's the guy, he is, God's on him somehow, and we want to bring our friend to him to be healed. And, uh, and I just, just want to notice, just first off, the effort that these men took to bring their friend to Jesus. I mean, that was just amazing. Amazing. Um, they were not going to let a little bitty thing like there's a crowd here to keep them from taking their friend to Jesus. And so um, it's just just fascinating. And I, you know, some people may have come to that scene and said, oh, well, guess we're not going to get into seeing him, you know. And they would maybe go on home. Uh, but these guys uh, were just they just were motivated by faith and trust that this Jesus could do something about their friend's problem. And so they were willing to do the work, to do the hard work to see Jesus work. You get that? They were, they were willing to do the hard work so they could see Jesus work. And I want to make mention of just something about that. Something about that. You know, we sometimes we want to see God make changes in our lives. We want to see God work in other people's lives. Um, but are we willing to do the hard work that God wants us to do? Okay? You ever think about that? So it's kind of the flip of what I was saying before, the reverse. Like, we do need to be engaged in God's work, but we need to make sure we're in prayer and God is involved in what we're doing. But now I'm also saying that you know what, if you want to see God work in your life, you want to see Jesus touch your life and work in your marriage, in your, in your life, and in your, your outreach efforts, whatever it might be, you have to be willing to do some hard work. Um, I seem to be all on J.C. Ryle today. I want to read to you just another quote from his commentary on this. Uh, um, he says, let us thoroughly understand that pains and diligence are just as essential to the well-being and prosperity of our souls as of our bodies. In all our endeavors to draw near to God, in all our approaches to Christ, there ought to be the same determined earnestness which was shown by the sick man's friends. We must allow no difficulties to check us and no obstacle to keep us back from anything which is really for our spiritual good. Especially must, uh, must we bear this in mind in the matters of regular reading the Bible, hearing the gospel, keeping the Sabbath holy, and private prayer. On all these points, we must beware of laziness and excuse-making spirit. We 
could come up with all kinds of reasons why we can't do such and such that we know will benefit us spiritually. Oh, I, you know, my job just doesn't let me read the Word of God. I've got to get up early and, you know, this and that. And we could come up with all kinds of reasons. Um, But what we don't realize is that God has set it up so that you actually have to do something. (laughs) If you want to change and be more like Christ, as any Christian should, we actually have to put forth effort. And it's, you know what? It's not going to feel good sometimes. We have this false idea that when God's in it, man, it just goes easy. Baloney. Baloney. Okay? Ask Paul. You think Paul had some opposition in difficult times that he had to press through? He certainly did. And so what I'm saying is, you have to put in the hard work when it comes to, and hard work meaning that you're going to have to do some things, that you're going to have to push through some obstacles to really, let's just say, grow spiritually. Right? And spiritual growth is, is this, this combination of our effort and the Holy Spirit. And it's not one without the other. So I'm, I'm giving um, giving an, uh, an exam tomorrow, and um, that exam will serve as feedback, right, for some students as to how they're doing. Right? And um, if if you have the mentality of growth, if you have a growth mentality, you'll welcome the feedback because it's going to show you where you need to grow. If you have a fixed mentality, like, oh, well, that's just how I am. That's just the way it goes with me. I can't learn math, okay? Then you won't. That student will not grow. They will not learn. It's not because they can't. It's all right here. Okay? It's the same thing spiritually. If you think that you are just this way and you can't grow and you can't do this thing and you can't do that thing that's going to be good for your spiritual growth, then you won't. I guarantee it, you won't. Because you are just have a fixed mindset. You don't have a mindset that says, I can grow with God's help and with the effort that I actually have to put in. Right? So whether it's reading your Bible and engaging Scripture, or memorizing it, or whatever it might be, or learning how to share your testimony, whatever it might be. And those are all things I know God wants us to do, by the way. And those are all things that when we uh, expose ourselves to them, they are the means by which God grows us, right? They are the means, okay? So so, it, it, so what uh, J.C. Ryle is saying here is that you know, we need to not let excuses be, you know, that we buy into excuses that are going to prevent us from pushing into Jesus and knowing him better and growing in him. Okay? Now, some of you, you know, there's always, in every group, there's always those that are like, yes, I'm, a, you know, and those are the people that are very, you know, tend to be disciplined and, and you know, they, they get that or whatever. 
And then there's those that, that are saying, oh, well, no, I just, that, you know, what I just told you totally deflates you, okay? But see, if it deflates you, then what your mentality is that, is that you know, just because something is hard means it's, it's bad or that you shouldn't do it. Okay? And, and so just realize that, of course, you know, there's grace uh, that we experience in the Lord Jesus, right? We, we, we're, it's, it's not about, you know, um, how many, you know, Bible passages can I read this week or whatever. But the thing is, is that, um, so if I, my mentality is, okay, well, that doesn't make God love me any better, but engaging in these, uh, if we can say, uh, spiritual disciplines, habits of the faith, prayer, Bible reading, all that, that gets us in a position that we can receive from God and therefore grow in God, okay? If I don't put myself in those positions to engage the Scriptures, uh, to pray, if I don't put myself in there, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, to grow. It's, it's like saying, you know, you can't eat unless you step up to the buffet, right? You just can't. If you're, if you're at a place that has, that has only a buffet, you're not going to eat unless you step up there, right? You can't stay out in the car and get fed. You've got to put yourself in that place. Does that make sense? And, and so what we're saying is you've got to put forth effort in your walk if you're going to grow. Now, the Holy Spirit, you know, I, I know I'm kind of weighing on one side, but the Holy Spirit has to be in, in you and working and changing. But I'm telling you, you read Paul and you see him striving and relying at the same time. And so we know it has to be both, okay? Does that make sense? I spent a lot more time on that than I wanted to. But I think it's a good point, you know, that, that these men were like, listen, we're going to we want to see the Lord do something here. We're going to press in, and we're not going to let this little obstacle stop us. We're going to let our friend down to Jesus. And so, um, of course, Jesus' response, like we said, was a shocker. Man, your sins are forgiven, right? And I think we need to see in Jesus' response that um, it's not that he doesn't care about our physical problems. It's not like he doesn't care about those. He wasn't trying to communicate to that man, well, I don't really care the fact that you can't walk. But there, I think one of the things he's communicating, besides the fact that he's trying to show that he is God, okay, <laughs> I think that's the main thing that's happening here, but, but he's also trying to show that this man has a greater need than even just the physical healing. He has a greater need, and that is to be forgiven. That spiritual need is even greater um, than the physical need. And I think that's hard for us sometimes to see because we think that's unkind of Jesus, that he wouldn't address the physical initially. But, but he really does, you know, to answer all the, um, the Pharisees there, and he was reading their thoughts, apparently, that he could know that they were doubting. Um, and of course, I, I, love the, I love how they, even from their own words, the scribes and the Pharisees, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Ding, 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 ding. That's the answer. He must be God, right? He must be God if he's saying he could forgive sins, right? It's like they, they, they answered their own question. Of course, that's why they're saying he's blaspheming, because only God can forgive, right? 
And so, um, so but Jesus, I think, is, is saying your sins are forgiven because he's saying that he, he not only want to demonstrate that he is God, but also just the fact that this is, a, this is the paramount issue with anyone. They need spiritual healing. They need forgiveness. They're not, we're not born into this world right with God. So Jesus is really pointing out our greatest need. And, you know, you can have good health, but, but not have an abundant life. That's what Jesus promised. You can have great health. You can be the, the physical, you know, specimen, so to speak, you know, just the epitome of health. But you could be a wreck in your actual life besides the physical. But you can have poor physical health and experience an abundant joyful life in Christ. I'm sure you can think of many of examples of people that have struggled uh, physically uh, and had all kinds of physical ailments, but yet uh, you could see the joy of the Lord in their life. They're, they're Christians, and they were, they were relying on the Lord. But Jesus, to kind of make his point, he's like, okay, so that you know that I actually have authority to forgive sins, I will heal this man. Like, I'm going, to take, I'm going to take two birds out with one stone. I'll heal this man, and you'll know that I have authority to forgive sins, and I'll heal this man. Just an amazing, an amazing sight. And so uh, I just think this is just um, a wonderful picture that we see that, you know, you, we got to recognize what our greatest need, what the greatest need of humanity is, they need to be made right with God. That's it. Okay, so uh, I think about the words of Paul, I'm, I'm sure going to butcher it here, but who is just like, in, in one verse he says something along the lines of, we, we're not going to view uh, people from a human perspective now. We're going to see them from a, a godly perspective, which we're going to see them not, not as... What's going on here in the physical? We're going to say, like, I wonder, you know, I wonder, because we're going to see people as either they've accepted Christ as Savior or they haven't. We're going to see people in this spiritual way because that is the most important thing, that someone would come to know Jesus. And again, it's not that Jesus didn't meet physical needs. He did, okay? Um, but the thing is, is that he's raising up for us the most important thing, right, and, and is that we would be forgiven and that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, and he is the one we come to for forgiveness, okay? And so um, my, my encouragement to you this morning would be is if, if, you're, uh, if you've not asked Christ to forgive you, to come into your life, to save you, that you would do that that you would put your faith in him to forgive you of your sins, to forgive you of your sins, and that you would be made right with God, and that you could experience the abundant life of Jesus that he does promise. Because then when, when you put your faith in him, the Spirit um, lives inside of you and helps you grow. He helps you... Um, make use of all the, the means of growth that he gives us. And then, if you're a believer this morning, this last healing, I think, just, again, reminds us to have that mindset 
of every person we encounter either knows the Lord or they don't. And to start thinking in those categories. Because when you think about that, and you think about, well, what does that mean? Well, either, every person in the world is either going to heaven or hell. That's, that's the, the raw reality, right? That is real. But that is not always before us in our minds. And so I think if we, if, if we could ask God to help us to see the world through, through that lens, it would encourage us to, and maybe, could I say, embolden us to share Christ right? and to, to be around people that don't know the Lord, that need His cleansing, that need His healing touch in their lives. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and are so thankful that the Lord Jesus demonstrates for us in these two healings just his power to heal and his authority to forgive. Lord, if we're real honest, um, any of us believers here this morning would say, you know what? Um, sin was my leprosy, in a sense. It was my, I was sin sick before coming to Jesus, headed down the path of destruction. But Jesus did not distance himself from us, but he moved in through all kinds of various means, through people, through circumstances, to reveal himself to us. And Lord, as believers, we're so thankful for that. We're thankful that you intervened in our lives in some way to show yourself to us, that we might receive your touch in some way in our lives, that we might know you as Savior. And Father, I want to thank you, too, that you still heal today that there are times when your, um, your power shows itself in ways where people are totally healed. And it's, it, it's an amazing thing when that happens, and we thank you, Lord, that that does happen. And it's not something we can control. We can just simply approach you humbly and ask for it and trust you with the outcome. And Lord, thank you that there are times when heaven touches earth in that way. Lord, help us to see people the way you do. Help us to see people with compassion. Help us to see people as people who need you. And we've got the answer. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.